0: To get into the Christian faith, you run into all these words, big, fancy theological words. And we've been looking at a number of those words in this series, reaching back into eternity when God chose us to belong to His Son Jesus. Then in time and space, He calls us to Himself, calling. He justifies us, makes us righteous in the sight, adopts us into His family. Last week, adoption. This week, sanctification, Uh, Jamie has alluded to this a number of times already in his worship leading this morning, alluded to the holiness of God. So we are looking at this wonderful phrase in verse 13, sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Let me read our text and then we will jump right in. Paul writes, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord. Because God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our Gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. A tourist is strolling through a quaint village in Europe. Comes into a man, obviously a townsman, it says, excuse me, sir, lovely town you have here. Were there any famous people born here? Nope, just babies. So it is with the Christian life. You're born of the Spirit, and then you need to grow, develop, mature, change. Change. Farther down the lane, he comes to the park in the middle of the town, and there's a man in the middle of the park, a ladder up against a huge slab of marble. Excuse me, sir, what are you doing? I'm sculpting a horse. How do you do that? I simply chip away from the marble everything that's not horse. So it is in the Christian life. We begin to grow as Christians and God is at work in your heart by the Spirit chipping away everything that is isn't Jesus to make you into the beautiful image of His Son. And finally, down a couple other roads, He turns down a side road and there's a man standing in front of this dilapidated house with with a sledgehammer and a power saw, just giddy with the light. Sir, what's up? well, I grew up in this house and it suffered severe disrepair and neglect over the years so I purchased it and now I'm going to completely rehab it and restore it to its former glory. So it is with your Christian growth. God rescues us from the disrepair of selfish intention in order to restore to us the pure image of God forfeited at the fall and revealed most beautifully in his son Jesus. So each of these are pictures of what the Bible calls sanctification. You see the word in our text? Look again at verse 13. God chose you from the beginning to be saved, here it is, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Biblically, the word sanctification, both in the ancient Hebrew, And Greek means holy. The essential idea is set apart, made separate, made distinct for special use. It's like the times I go into the refrigerator and I see a big bowl of strawberries and I go, yummy. And my wife goes, no, 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 honey. I've set those apart for a dessert I'm making later in the day. They're set apart. I can't touch them. Here's the, a fundamental notion of sanctification. It starts with who God is. God is holy. He himself is set apart from His creation. Holiness is, is the godness of God. He's utterly distinct, utterly different from everything else. There's nothing like God in purity, in power, in perfection. That means God is deserving of all of your all, your reverence and your obedience. God is holy. He sets us apart for himself in order to make us like himself. God is holy. He sets you apart for himself in order to make you like himself. I don't know what you aspire to in life, but I know this. Nothing greater could be done for a human being than to become God's precious possession and made into the beautiful image of Jesus. Nothing greater. Nothing you pursue compares to the command, the invitation, the demand, the glorious welcome. Be holy for I am holy. So I'm going to tease out some distinctions, three of them. Namely, you can see on the outline, sanctification is number one, Both a status and a process. That means the Bible uses the word sanctification, past tense and present tense. Past tense, sanctified, right, E-D, refers to your status. At your conversion, you were set apart for God. You were set apart in union with Jesus Christ. If you want to impress somebody later on today with the theological word you use, you you, you learned, this is punctiliar. It happens once. You are once and for all, the moment you are converted, set apart for God. Theologians like to call this definitive sanctification. It comes out in uh, really all of the New Testament epistles because... Um, Paul addresses the, the people that he writes to, not as sinners, he addresses them as saints, holy ones, set-apart ones. Look at the verse in the outline, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.3, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Past tense. When they were converted, they were set apart, made holy, they became Saints. Later on in the epistle, 1 Corinthians 6.11, he describes some sins that were marked their former manner of life. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. There's sanctification by the Spirit. Justification by the Spirit's work. (laughs) Present tense is, Sanctify refers to a process. So as over against definitive sanctification, does this get a little muddy with all these fancy words? Over against definitive sanctification, one time is a process what theologians call progressive sanctification. It happens over your entire life. It's a process. It's continuous. Once you're set apart by the Holy Spirit, He begins to work in you, more of a love of righteousness, more and of a hatred for sin. God wants to make you like himself, holy. He is chipping away everything that isn't Jesus. He's rehabbing you into the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could anything be better? There's, a, I think, one of the best verses in the Bible that sort of captures the heart of that, and that's Philippians 2, 13, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation. Right? you've been definitively sanctified, you have a status, you're sent, you've been set apart, consecrated, sanctified at conversion, God's made a deposit in you of the Holy Spirit, now work out your salvation, continuous, present tense, ongoing, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Paul said to, to, the, to the Galatians, I'm in anguish for you till Christ be formed in you. What did Paul want for the Galatians? What did Paul want for the Ephesians? What does God want for you? Christ be formed in you. Your moral character. Your sense of purity, loving righteousness, hating sin. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3.10. You've put on the new man which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So, So look again at the phrase in our text. God saved you through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Which is it? Is it definitive sanctification or progressive sanctification? Yeah, that's right, Nate. It's both. It's both. What happened to your conversion? You were set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit. You became a saint. And now that you belong to Jesus there's a progression of sanctification by the Spirit and faith and the truth. I will come back to that notion a little bit later in the sermon. Here's what I want you to see. Salvation is not just getting you to heaven's glory. It is getting heaven's glory into you now and forever. And how do you do that? You gaze upon heaven's glory Jesus. Hebrews 12. Rock read it earlier. We run with endurance the race that is set before us, casting off the sin that so easily entangles us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. (laughs) What's the principle at work here? It's simply this. You become what you look at. What captures the heart, captures the imagination. What captures the imagination, rules the life. 2 Corinthians 3.18 For we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. It is our privilege, it is our responsibility, it is our highest glory to behold the glory of Jesus every day, We are being transformed into the same image of the one we're beholding from one degree of glory into another. What was your life life like 10 years ago? My life 5 years ago? Well, there should be a greater glory in my life, a greater sense of the glory of Jesus today than 5 or 10 years ago. If that's true, how might this lead you to pray? I'm going to jump back to the end of 1 Thessalonians because there's a verse there we did not look at when we finished the series in 1 Thessalonians. And it's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Here's how Paul prays. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. God sanctifies us. It's the work of God's grace. God is making you holy. He himself is May the God of peace sanctify himself, sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body over against the Platonist who said, Spirit's okay, doesn't matter what you do with your body. Not in Christianity. All of you belongs to the Lord. He redeems all of you. He's at work in your heart, your will, your mind, your soul, your body is a living sacrifice to the Lord. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful he will surely do it. I'll come back to that verse at the end of the sermon. What is this a prayer for? You can ask God every day. You can pray this for your friends. You can pray this for your spouse. You can pray this for your children. Children, you can pray this for your siblings. You can pray this for yourself. That God would use all of his resources to have all of his way with all of you, all for your greatest good, for all time. That's all it is. <laughs> Now, let's tease out some implications before we go on to part two. There's some important implications here. Number one, this means Christian growth is not an elective course. When you go to college, you take requirements and electives. If you have time and interest, you take an elective course, right? Some people think, well, I go get saved, I say the sinner's prayer, that's the required course, and that's it. The elective course is for people who are interested in growing as a Christian. Wrong. Lethal, deadly, demonic. This isn't an option. Christian growth isn't for those who happen to be super spiritual and on fire for the Lord. Beloved, Jesus is absolutely everything. And if he's not for you, you need to think about whether or not you're really saved. You really have a relationship with him. May he sanctify you completely. The idea is through and through. And finally, may your spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. That's the whole person. Nothing is left untouched, beloved. Jesus is Lord of your thoughts, your pocketbook, your sexuality, your friendship, your words, everything. In fact, this word whole that Paul uses was used in the sacrificial system of giving the whole animal, not just a part. The whole animal was a sacrifice to God. Because the Son of God sacrificed all of Himself for you on the cross. Not a part. He didn't die to some ideas. He didn't just have His heart broken. The Son of God sacrificed everything Most important, his union with his Father to make you his precious possession, to set you apart, to sanctify you. What sort of spirit would disavow you of the notion that Christianity is an elective course? This spirit, oh, that someone like you would love someone like me. Second thing, sanctification is not. It's not knowing Jesus as a professor. When you get into the Christian life, you want to grow in Bible knowledge, you want to grow in theology, and for some people, that's essentially what Christianity is, knowledge. And by all means, knowledge is critical. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 to grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul warns us, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So you've got to ask yourself, is Christianity basically... My relation with Jesus, he's my professor. I just learn things from him. If you're increasing in knowledge, how would you know if it was actually toward your sanctification? You'd be coming more worshipful. You'd become more humble. You'd become more of a sacrificially other-centered servant. That's how you'd know. Real knowledge doesn't get stuck in your head. It translates into a life of serving other people. What spirit would save you from simply knowing Jesus as professor? Oh, that someone like you would love someone like me. Third thing sanctification is not. It's not knowing Jesus as a personal trainer. That is, Jesus came to help the strong. And when you feel weak, you look to Jesus. You know, Jesus is the picture of being ripped spiritually. So I want to be like that. Help me be strong, Jesus. Jesus. People who have lived that way invariably are very weary. What would save you from seeing Jesus merely as a personal trainer? This spirit. Oh, that someone like you would love someone like me. And last thing, sanctification is not. It's not knowing Jesus as a bellhop where God is basically in your life to serve your purposes. You want Him to bless you, and you want Him to bless good things. Bless my family, bless my work, bless my church, bless my country, bless my business. Those are all good things. But basically, God is in your life to get you what you can't get for yourself. No, this text teaches you that God is sanctifying you because you're absolutely desperate of your own resources. You can't do it. You are as useless as a dishwashing glove laying right there. It must be filled with power for anything good to come from it. So are hearts filled with the power of the Spirit for anything good to come. What would save you from seeing God as a bellhop? This Spirit, oh, that someone like you would love someone like me. Let's not miss this point. You are God's investment. You're the most valuable thing in the universe. You are. Because of the price God paid for you. To set you apart. To make you holy. To shape you into the image of Jesus. To have you as God's precious son or daughter forever. It took God crushing his son treating Jesus on the cross like his bitterest enemy because your sin was nailed into the body of Jesus and the Father took his wrath and threw it into the body and soul of Jesus. That's what it cost for God to make you holy. He is not giving up on this. You are too precious. He paid for you with the unspeakably horrific death of his son. So he will do it. And that spirit, oh, that someone like you would love someone like me, keeps you on that trajectory. Second contrast about sanctification. It is both messy messy, messy and incomplete in this life. And this first point, messy, is going to be a pretty long. That's why I had Chris in the bulletin make more white space in your outline. Yeah, this is going to take a little bit more time than the rest of the points. So you do a rehab job. Right? You get the sledgehammer, the saw, and it's a mess. Uh, I'm always amazed when I see those TV shows where they're rehabbing a house and they're in there making all this mess, and they don't have their noses covered. Man, that's the first thing I do before I walk in the house, put the thing over my nose, because you can see all this junk. And you're ripping stuff off the walls, and what's exposed? Rot. Yuck decay and we tend to put pretty things on the wall of our souls to soothe our conscience that we're okay and God is pleased to strip them down pull back the drywall and show you what really needs rehabbing translated he may let you fail he may lead to that difficult breakup he may create this stress or trial to expose what's in your heart, which is what he cares most about. And the point is, the more we grow in grace, the more that horse begins to show, the chipping off, the more you see the holiness of God, the more you experience the righteous commands of the word of God, the more you know the love of Jesus for you the more you see your sin. This is messy. It's discomforting. You're aware of a war with sin in your heart. And Christian growth is, by definition, full of unpleasant discoveries. I'll just be personal here. The depth of my pride. How selfish I am. I actually enjoy finding fault with others. I can become impatient quickly. My thinking is being driven by a crass discontentment, the ease with which I lapse into doubt, disobedience, and dissatisfaction with God himself, and my relative indifference to the glory of God. Look, This is hidden from me until God begins to peel back the drywall. And you end up feeling like a walking contradiction. I say the gospel is true, but I deny it in thought and word and deed. So what do you do, beloved? What can I do? When God peels back the layers of your heart, you feel unlovable in his sight. You feel unworthy of his love. You're not as impressed with yourself as you used to be. (laughs) And you can't hide from others what is being shown to you. And the gospel seems too good to be true. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you don't, your Christian growth is stunted. This is what happens in Christian growth. What do you do? In my pastoral experience, I've run into... Seven or eight strategies people typically use as they begin to grow as Christians. It won't take that long, but let me just show you some of them. Number one, denial. Just tell yourself I'm not that bad. Get, get out of the house. Get away from the dust and the grind. Number two, compare. Well, I might have issues, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm certainly not as bad as Hitler. Right? Number three, despair. I'm never going to get better. Number four, blame shift. My problems are largely due to the ways other people have hurt me. Five, lower the standards. Just make it easy on yourself. Six or seven, get saved again. And again. And again. (laughs) And again. (laughs) Did the evangelist tell you that growing as a Christian was messy? and dirty, and full of unpleasant discoveries? Did he warn you or she warn you to expect a raging battle with pride? Well, they let you down. And the one used most often by serious believers is work harder, try harder, buck up, more discipline, turn over a new leaf. And I want to tell you why that hasn't worked for you. It hasn't worked for you because you're only restraining your behavior. You haven't transformed your heart. If you see Janice or me walking Amy out on the church property here, we always have a little poop bag, don't worry. And she sees a squirrel, I mean it's, boom! And we have to restrain her with the leash. Rules, laws, more spiritual discipline tend to only restrain your heart. They don't transform your heart. And then you end up doing doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. You become motivated by fear and pride. Fear, God's going to get me if I don't do the right thing. I'll get caught. He won't bless me. Pride, I want to feel better about myself. I want to look better in other people's eyes. (laughs) I don't want to look bad. So your motives are actually sinful for trying to do the right thing. and you're living as if the gospel is not true and you're not secure in his love. And now I'm talking about the phrase as regards progressive sanctification sanctified by the Holy Spirit and faith in the truth. That's what you need for progressive sanctification. See, if I know how profoundly loved I am by Jesus, I've got nothing to prove and nothing to lose. Recently, Janice and I received a text from our precious daughter, Laura. She said, please pray for me. I'm struggling. I've been in a situation where someone was harshly critical of me. I need to find rest in Jesus. First of all, sad and sorrowful and grief for my daughter in this difficult situation, but ecstatic that what my daughter knows she needs is to find her rest in Jesus. That's what Paul means by sanctification, by faith and uh, the Spirit and faith in the truth. Faith is living as if the Gospel is really true. I really am loved by God. (laughs) I really am precious to Him. And, of course, the source of that, the truth, is verse 15. The traditions you were taught by word of mouth or letter from us. That's the apostolic testimony. That's what you have right now in the Word of God. It is the Word of God that the Spirit uses to minister to us. Think of it this way. Faith makes facts friends. Faith makes facts friends. What do friends do? They console you. They comfort you. They assure you. They love you. They surround you with the truth. They seek to dispel lies. Paul is saying, marinate your heart in the facts of what Jesus has done for you. Marinate your heart in that. Holy Spirit, apply the gospel truths to me. Isn't that what he's doing in the text we've been studying? What's he told us? You need to know why you're in the faith. He chose you. You need to know what God saved you from, spiritual death and eternal damnation. You need to know who you are, his beloved. You need to know what he saved you for, gaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the question. Why isn't that enough for my soul? If I'm being sanctified by the Spirit and faith in the truth, the Holy Spirit is taking that and assuring me and filling me with confidence and perseverance, and love for my enemies, and encouragement, and disavowing me of trusting my idols. Why isn't Jesus enough? What more does he need to do for your soul? So you see what sanctification is? It's the Spirit of God working in you the implications of everything Christ has done for you. That's why the knowledge component is really important. Okay. We're making the point that sanctification is messy, and I'll just make this point, it's incomplete in this life. Paul refers to being blameless at the day of Christ. He's keeping you blameless. from When I played high school basketball, one of the drills the coach taught us was how to box out. And for those of you who aren't familiar with basketball, boxing out is when the ball goes up to the rim. You find somebody on defense, and you keep them from getting the rebound. It's called boxing out. You try to do this. You keep them... Here's what the coach did. He put a ball on the floor. He said, Mike, you come here, and Joe, you come here. Mike, for a minute, you're just gonna have to keep that guy from the ball, and he's trying to get around me like this, and I'm boxing him out to keep him from the ball. Jesus wants to do that with respect to sin. Keep you from sin because it's so bad for you. You don't innately believe that. You don't, I don't take seriously how awful sin is as an affront to God, me, or others. The Spirit wants to show you that. Here's how you know you've arrived. You're like Joseph. When Potiphar's wife says, sleep with me, he says, how could I do this thing and sin against my God? So God directed. All right, last contrast. Sanctification is both intense warfare, yet with a guaranteed outcome. This is a very short point in the sermon. It's intense warfare. When you sign up for Christianity, you're going to war. Because you're either at peace with sin and at war with God, or if through Jesus Christ you're at peace with God, you're now at war with sin. Every one of you woke up at war with sin this morning. Sin's at war with you. This is why Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.13, Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Right now, this morning, tomorrow, all next week, and until you die, you will battle indwelling sin. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. He says, when I sin, it's no longer I, but sin which indwells me that's trying to get the better of me. And are you going to fail in this struggle? Of course. Every day and more than you know, what will you pray when you fail? Help me be stronger. Help me be better. Well, yes, that's the end of repentance. It's changed behavior. How about this? 2 Thessalonians 2.16. It's our text. It's the prayer in our text. What will you pray when you fail? Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, he's going to double team you. In sports, folks, when you really need to stop a good player on the other team, you put two defenders on them. God double teams in sanctification. Actually triple teams, it's the spirit in you. May God the Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Why does God comfort you by grace? to establish you in every good work and word. In other words, grace is very fluid. It's very fluid. When Jesus lavishes grace on the needy, it overflows and seeks a place to bless. That's how you know it's really grace. It's not a false comfort. It's not a counterfeit comfort. It's real comfort when it comes into you and you feel this urge to bring blessing to someone else. And finally, Sanctification is not just intense warfare. It's with a guaranteed outcome. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. (laughs) God upholds and keeps those he calls. What's Paul saying? He's saying when you're struggling in your life, you're going to be tempted to, to look to your faithfulness or God's faithfulness for comfort, for assurance. And of course, there's a place for self-examination but if you ultimately are looking to your faithfulness for your assurance and your focus one of two things will be happen if you're succeeding you'll become proud and probably judgmental of other people why can't they get their act together like i got my act together if you're failing you're looking to your faithfulness and you're failing you will probably live with a lot of despair joyless christianity The better thing to do, the only thing to do, is to look to God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. That will produce humility, joy, gratitude, and confidence. God's faithfulness is, I will begin what I started, and that is, I'm going to show the universe what my son does with ruined sinners. So imagine that that. Slab of marble in this small European town is finished and there's a stunning sculpture there and passers-by stop and look and they just um, marvel at this piece of art. But ultimately the question becomes what? Who did that? And that's where God will be glorified, glorified as faithful. Your sanctification, your arriving safely into God's holy heaven, the whole universe will know Jesus did that because he's faithful to his Father who's faithful to you. Let's pray. We stand in awe of your faithfulness, our Father, what you would do to make us your forever sons and daughters, the horrific pain and agony of Christ's cross, Thank you that this work in us is absolutely guaranteed because of the resurrection of Jesus. We have been raised with him indeed. So work in the hearts of my brothers and sisters every good grace, giving us increased hatred of sin, love of righteousness, looking to Christ by whom we are transformed from one degree of glory into another. In his name, amen.